our passage this morning is Deuteronomy 2, um, and we're going to go through quite a bit. This is a large section, but it really kind of fits together. So we're going to go all up in Deuteronomy, all of chapter 2 and part of chapter 3, which I know you guys think I'll end. We should have brought our lunch, but hopefully it's going to go well. Um, but it's just, it's just a, 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 this just sort of fits. You know, it, it, when you think about, you know, this being Christmas and Christ's birth, um, and, and, and you know it's right. I mean, we we celebrate Christ's birth, but with with um, you know, there's never been a leader that's ever led that wasn't born. You know, it's kind of I know it's kind of obvious, but but you know when you think of uh, when you celebrate that the the birth of any leader, it's not about the fact he was born. It's his accomplishment. It's it's what he did in his life. You know that 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 remembers. And and, and I know what's right now. The, there's such a and the world loves to loves the, the birth of Christ. They love seeing Christ as that little child, that little image in, in the manger. You know, he fits so much in the little Hallmark pictures and 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 on the movies. But but the reality of seeing him as this sovereign king um, is, is harder for us to 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 accept, isn't it? You know Romans one twenty eight when Paul's laying out these sins and he's and he's helping us to understand what sin is, and 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 sin is this this heart action you know and 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 the symptom of sin is our lying or 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 or, or our lust and all these these are the symptom of sin but sin is as Paul says is it's not giving God the glory that he deserves or believing the lie instead of the truth or failing to acknowledge God as God. In Romans one twenty eight, and and you know think about it, what does it mean to not acknowledge God? What does it mean to 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 know who He is and to fail to acknowledge God as God? As we as we read this section, uh, think about what does that look like in their lives and in our lives? You know. Um, if we, this is, I want to read an excerpt of a news report. On December 7th, 1941, Japanese planes attacked U.S. naval base at Pearl Harbor, external Hawaiian territory, killing 2,300 Americans. The USS Arizona was completely destroyed, and USS Oklahoma capsized. A total of 12 ships sank or were breached in the attack, and nine additional vehicles were damaged. More than 160 aircraft were destroyed and more than 150 others damaged. This initiated the U.S. involvement in World War II. Of course, you all, hopefully all of us, when we heard it, knew exactly what this is about. And this little history excerpt, you know, and you read it in history, and we see that, and, and, and we know that, and, and there's so much more. For those who lived through it, that this excerpt can't encapsulate all that went on during that time. It's just a little snippet of news. Um, but how would it read from God's perspective? How would it read if, 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 if God had taken that snippet and somehow put it in the Bible? Because as we read this in, in, in Deuteronomy, this, this passage, it's interesting to see this from a, the, these same events that we read about numbers from a slightly different perspective. I can't help but wonder if if we were if this was in the Bible, if if it would say something like this, 
God moved in the heart of the emperor of Japan to attack a United States military base so that he, that is God, would use the United States to destroy three nations, Japan, Germany, and Italy, and from, and from God's, you know, that, that God used them to, to, to remove those governments and put others in place. You know, from God's perspective, it's about seeing him, seeing his hand at work, seeing what he's doing. You know, and, and in this long narrative, we're going to try to look at these four events, not just as random stories, but to see what's behind these events. So we're going to talk about four different kingdoms. And we'll talk about Edom, Moab, Og, and or Sion, and Og, in that order. Now, the interesting part about this is when you read them in, in Numbers, that's not the order they come, or chronologically or geographically. In, in, in Numbers, it goes Edom, Shiho, Og, and Moab's last. But, but Deuteronomy is not about giving us a history lesson. Deuteronomy is for a purpose. There's a theological purpose for this. So, so, so we're, it's not trying to tell us just a history of what happened. There's something else going on here that we need to get. So, so Moses, he reorders under the inspiration of God, not about the, the historical records of it, but, but, but there's something deeper going on. So let's look at these, these four events from Deuteronomy 2, starting in verse 1, all the way through chapter 3, verse 7. And let's see if we can kind of quickly and, and briefly touch on these to figure out what's going on. And I know it would be simpler to not read this, but, but it's like someone said, you know, I, I've heard a, a preacher once say, well, we'd read it if we had more time. And, and, and uh, one of the, the, the a professor of mine said, I'll never forget, he said, he said, so what you're telling me is your words are more important than God's words. So we always have time to read God's words. So, you know, we're going to read his, his words and then kind of comment on this. So Deuteronomy 2, starting verse 1. Then we turned and, and journeyed into the wilderness in the direction of, of the Red Sea, as the Lord told me. Remember, as we end up last week, they had, they had disobeyed God. They had refused to enter in. God said, you're an evil generation. None of you enter in. They said, okay, fine, we'll obey you now, God. And they're going to enter in. And God said, just didn't listen to me. That wasn't what I had. So God has sent them away to, to wander after their defeat. When they decided in their own strength they would do it, they couldn't do it. Um, they failed, and God called them to wander in the land for 40 years. And then Moses, he picks up the, the, the account again. Then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea, as the Lord told me. And for many days we traveled around Mount Seir. Then the Lord said to me, You've been traveling around this mountain country long enough. Turn, turn northward and command the people... You're about to pass to the territory, or literally a better translation should be, you're about to pass by the borders, uh, the borders of the territory of your brothers, the people of Esau, who live in Seir. And they will be afraid of you. So be very careful. Do not contend with them. For I will not give any of you their land. No, not as much as the sole of the foot to tread on, because I've given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. You shall purchase food from them with money that you may eat 
and you shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all, your, in all the work of your hands. He knows you're going through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. So we went on away from our brothers, the people of Esau, who live in Seir, away from the road of away from the road of Arabah and Isa, Elath and Ezron Geber. And on first reading, it almost sounds like they just walk straight through. Yes, they hate them. Yes, they're angry with them, but but they're afraid of them. But it almost sounds like they walk straight through. But I want you to notice something. God said, I'm not even going to give you a place to put your feet as you tread through. And that's what we find here. So as they've been walking around for 40 years, they've been going around this mountain, now it's time to enter in. And he said, you're going to pass by Edom, the land of Esau, your brother, and they're going to be afraid of you. And their, afraid, their fears will come out in anger against you. And he said, I'm not even going to give you the, the place to put your foot, the sole of your foot. And, and so when we read this account in Numbers 20, Verses 14 through 21, Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, you know all the hardships we met, how our fathers went down to Egypt and, and lived in Egypt a long time. And the Egyptians dealt harshly with us and our fathers. And when we cried to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us up out of Egypt. And here we are in Kadesh, the city at the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through through field or vineyard or drink water from the well. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or the left hand until we pass through your territory. So here they are. He said, we're right here at the border. We're at Kadesh. We're your brothers. Let us pass through. But Edom said, back to uh, Numbers 20, but, he, but the king of Edom said, you will not pass through. And Edom came out against them with a large army and a strong force. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage to his territory. So Israel turned away from him. We find in, in Judges 11, it says they didn't enter into it. Eventually, in 2 Samuel, we find God using David to destroy Edom over the sin. But here they are, they're at the land. He's asking, and, and I love the fact, he said, please, let us pass through. Edom comes out with his whole army, and they turn away. Hmm. All right. And that's all it says. We'll just leave it there. Next, we have the Moabites. Back to, back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 8. Now, again, in, in, the, in the progression, this was the fourth kingdom they passed, but, but Moses puts it here in the second kingdom. So in this first kingdom... They got to the border. Edom came out to give them all the army. They saw them. God led them away. This is the second kingdom, the Moabites. Verse 8. And we turned and went in the direction of the wilderness of Moab. And the Lord said to me, Do not harass Moab or contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land for a possession, just like Esau, just like uh, uh, their brother Esau and, and the Edomite, you don't get any of their land. Because I have given heir, or are, to the people of Lot for possession. The Amim formerly lived there, a people great and many, as tall as the Anakim. 
that's the last people. Giants. Like the Anakin, they're also counted as Riffian giants. Um, but the Moabites call them Amim. God has given them victory over the giants. Verse 12. The Horvites also lived in Seir formerly, but the people of Esau disposed them and destroyed them from before, before them and settled in their place, as Israel did to the land of their possession, which the Lord gave to them. Now rise up and go over the book Zered. So we went over the brook Zered, and the time for our leaving Kadesh Barnea, we, until we crossed the brook Zered, was 38 years, until the entire generation, that is the men of war, had perished in the camp as the Lord sworn to them. For indeed, the hand of the Lord was against them, to destroy them in the camp until they had perished. So here we are. And it sounds so similar, doesn't it? They got up to it, and God said, I'm not giving you their land. I gave that land to them. And I'm the one who helped Esau get his land. I'm the one who, who actually helped. I, I'm the one who gave Esau his land. I'm the one who gave, gave Edom, their, Moab, their land. And I've got your land. But this isn't it. So they, they got there. Um, now let's skip over. Okay, yeah. So let's, let's keep reading back in, in Deuteronomy. Thought I'd jump to numbers yet, but I haven't. So as soon as the men of the war had perished and were dead from, from among the people, the Lord said to me, Today you are to cross the border of Moab at Ar, and when you approach the territory, the people of Ammon, do not harass them or contend with them. For I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as possession, because I have given it to the, to the sons of Lot for possession. Is also counted as the land of Rephim. Rephim formerly lived there, but the Ammonites called them Zamzumanin, a people great and many, as tall as the Anakim, but the Lord destroyed them before the Amorites, or Ammonites, sorry. And they disposed them and settled in their place, as he did the people of Esau, who lived in Seir, when he destroyed the Horites before them. And they disposed them and settled in their place, even to this day. As for Avim, who live in the villages of Gaza, the Kastinarim, who came from Kaftor, destroyed them and set on their place. Rise up, set on your journey, and go over the valley of Arnon. Behold, I have given into your hand... Um, oh, we'll stop right there. Sorry. Here they are. They're ready to cross in. And and we see kind of the uh, the Moab and the Amin are or the Ammon, are treated as one people here. Uh, these are the two daughters of, of Lot. Sounds peaceful. But let's hear, let's read the backstory again. Back to numbers. I know, it's going back and forth. That's good for you. Bible drills. Back to numbers. Now this time, numbers 22. Then the people of Israel set out and camped on the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan at Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Ammonites. And Moab was great in dread of the people, because there were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, This horde will now lick up all around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, the son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Peor, at Bethor, 
which is near the river in the land of the people of Amal, to call him, saying, Behold, a people have come out of Egypt. They've covered the face of the earth and are dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I should be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. Balak, son of Moab, called for Balaam to, 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 curse, to come and curse them. He looked at him. He said, here they come. They're marching up. And he, he, he rejects them. He hates them. He fears them. But he knows he can't stand against them. So he said, his idea was, I want them destroyed off the face of the earth, and I'm going to get Balaam to do it. And I want you to notice this, the language here is so similar to, to the Abrahamic covenant. Where he calls and he says, you know, God says, and I will bless those who bless you, and I'll curse those who curse you. And this is the exact same words that, that Moab, he looks and he says, Balaam, come and curse these people. They're out here camping. And, and, and they call them up. And we know the story. We know that, that, that Balaam, as he's going up, first says he's not going to go, and then he is going to go. And then, and then the, the donkey has better sight than he does. The donkey sees the, the, the servant of the Lord. And he warns him, and when he gets there, does he, does, does he curse him? Of course not. God works in his life, and, and, and that which was meant to be a curse ended up being a blessing. God called him, and he blessed the people. Two down. Now again, this was the last. So the first one, they came out, and the people were at the land, and they turned away. The second one, they passed through, but, but the, the king was up there and, and, and trying to call curses down on them, trying to call the, the, the anger of the Lord down on them, and they passed through peacefully. Next one. I know it's a lot. Sorry. But it's just important we get all this together. Let's pick up the reading back in Deuteronomy. I lost my place. Sorry, guys. Back in Deuteronomy, I lost my place there. 22? All right, great. Thank you. Um, as he did for the people of, of Esau, who lived in Seir, who destroyed the Horites before them, they disposed them and set them in their place. Thank you. And as for Avim, who lived in the village as far as Gaza and Gethrim, you don't want to say those words again. Wasn't it? It's supposed to be after that. I already said those words. As for Avim, who lived in the village as far as Gaza, in Catorum, who came from Captor and destroyed them, and set in their place, rise up and set on your journey, and go over the valley of Arnon. Behold, I've given into your hand Shaho, the Amorite, king of Heshbon, in his land. Begin to take possession. Contend with him in battle this day, and I, I will begin to put the dread of you on the people who are under the, or under the whole heavens, who shall hear report of you and shall tremble in anguish before you. So I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kedemoth to Shahan, the king of Heshbon, with words of peace, saying, Let us pass through your land. I will only go by the road. I will turn aside neither to the right or to the left. You shall sell me food for money that I may eat and give me water for money that I may drink. Oh, let me pass through on foot. As the sons of Esau, who live in Sarah and Moabites, who live in Er, did for me. 
until I go over the Jordan to the land of our God is given to us. But Shion, the king of Hezron, will not let them pass by. For the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might give him into your hand on this day. Here they come again. And Moses does the same thing. He sends out these messengers. He said, we'll pass through. We won't, we won't come out. We won't take your land. We'll, we'll buy the food we eat, just as we did with, with Esau. But God said, no, this is the land I'm going to give you. He hardens his heart. Numbers 21, in verse 31, And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have begun to give Shahan this land over to you. Take possession of it that you may occupy this land. And he, he, he explains just how he hardened it and all the cities they captured. So as we look at the first one, they come up to it and turned away. The second one, they passed through and God protected them. The third one, Shion came out. God raised up Israel. They destroyed them, and they took possession of their land. And finally, the last one, Og. Verse in, back to uh, chapter chapter three. Then we turned and went up to Bashan, and Og the king of Bashan came out against us, he and all his people, to the battle of Edra. But the Lord said to me, "Do not fear him." For I have given all of given him and all of his people and his land into your hand. And you shall do to him as you did to Shahu, the king of Amorites, who live in Hezbron. So the Lord our God gave in, into our hand Og also, the king of Bashan, and all of his people. And we struck him down until he had no survivor left. And we took all of his cities at that time. And there was not a city we did not take from them. Sixty cities, the whole region of, of Argob, the kingdom of Og in Bashan. And all of these cities were fortified with high hills and gates and bars beside many unwalled villages. And we devoted them to destruction as we did Shah, the king of Hezron, devoting to destruction every city, man, woman, and child. But all the livestock and all the spoiled city we took for, as our plunder. So we took the land at that time out of the hand of the two kings, the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan in the valley of Armon and Mount Hermon. The Sidons called call Hermon Sirion, and the Amorites call it Sinir. And all the cities of the Tableland, and all of Gilead, and all of Bashan, as far as Selica and Edra, the cities of the kingdom of Og and Bashan. For only Og, the king of Bashan, was left of the remnant of the Rephim. Behold, his bed was a bed of iron. It, is it not in Rabbah, the Ammonites? Nine cubits, which is 13 and a half feet. And just so you know, kind of put in context, Goliath could have laid there easily. Goliath was, was uh, about six cubits. So this, this, is, this is massive. This is half again as big as Goliath. In length, and four cubits, which is... Six feet wide, according to the common cubit. And, and, and so here he is, you know, the, here's this last king that we're going to look at this morning. And it's interesting to see the differences between these two. You know, in Numbers 21 21, Israel sent messengers to Shion, and they asked, Let me pass through there. And God hardened their heart, and they came out against them. In the same chapter, in verse 33, we find. 
Israel didn't send messengers to, to, to Og. He didn't need to harden their heart. And, and I think we kind of have the ideal. We see their, 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 their strength and their size and, and, and their pride in that. Immediately they came out. As soon as they heard them coming, they came out in battle. And God, God gave them victory over both of them. God treated each one differently. They had to listen and they had to obey. But God didn't need to harden Og's heart. Pride had already done this. But the real question is, so what? Why do we need to know this? Why does God say in, in his sovereignty, and he looked at this, he said, you know what? For Israel and for us today, you need to know this. You need to, 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 to understand the, 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 this, this is going to help you live. This is going to make you thoroughly complete. This is part of the word of God. And, and you know, serious, Moses didn't give them every battle. He didn't, he didn't list every victory here. He gave us these four to see his to see God at work. God wasn't Moses wasn't telling them history, and he's not telling us history. See, God is using his dominion over all the earth to bring about his plan, his purpose. They looked, and here are these enemies. They look fearful. They're all coming out. To, they all hate the Israelites. They all want to see the destruction of the Israelites. And God has given them victory after victory. And the, what's really crazy is some victories they don't even know about. They don't even know what's going on with Balaam at that time. They're just camping out here. And God's watching over and taking that, that, the curse of Balaam and turning it into a blessing. And what's more... God is bringing about the prophecy of Balaam. He's bringing it to, 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 to pass. That prophecy we read. God is using his dominion over all the earth to bring about the prophecy of Balaam. That prophecy in Numbers 24 that we read, when he said, How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel, like palm groves that stretch afar, like a garden beside a river, like alloys the Lord has planted. Like cedar trees beside the water, water shall flow from, from this bucket, and his seed shall be in many waters. We think that, that's what the, this imagery, this, 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 this Eden type language, God is going to bring it about. God is going to accomplish his will. You know, we often talk about the sovereignty of God, particularly here at this church. We say God's sovereign. But what does that mean for us when we go outside and we hear these news? What does that mean for us when we when we read of of, of decisions government's making? What does that mean for us when we read about these things that happen in our life? Do we still have that same vision of God as sovereign? God's sovereignty will accomplish his will. It will be done. This, this, this Eden language of Balaam will be accomplished. Israel will achieve the restoration of Eden. You can rest in that. We can rest in that. They could rest in that. 
God's saying, listen, I have brought you through all of this. I'll, I'll see you to the end. But also, there's something greater. I love when, when as, as Balaam starts these, these psalms, these final, these final prophecies, he says, these are the oracles of a man whose eyes are open, the guy who couldn't see the angel. The oracle of him who hears the words of God, who struggled to hear, who knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down from his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and the scepter shall rise out of Israel, and it shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down the sons of Seth. Any of them shall be disposed. Balaam's vision was of Christ. This is, this is the ultimate. This is what... This is what Deuteronomy is leading us to. Not just a picture of, well, God's going to see us through history. It is leading us to that knowledge and our, our need of Christ. All this is going to be accomplished. And the one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the cities. Do we believe that? Do we hold to that? Do we see God, Do we see that one from Jacob as exercising dominion every day in our lives? Do we, do we see that? We see the, the rise and fall of nations and God saying, I'm in charge of all of that. You realize there's not a single policy, decision, movement, disease, wreck, anything that God was not sovereign over. He gave every single person, every the land you live in, God gave it to you. He didn't buy it. God gave it to you. He gave you that to possess or to not possess. Psalms 110, the Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, back to Balaam's promise. Rule in the midst of your enemies. And Paul picks this up in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15.24 Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God after destroying every rule and every authority of power. For he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. God displays his dominion over all the earth to accomplish his will. We can rest in that. We can rest in that. We can rejoice knowing this that all things are going to be accomplished. But when it's so hard for us, isn't it? It's so hard for us. You know, it's easier when we look back and we see God's hand in 1941 and we did all that. So, man, that was great. God, you did great. But when it happens to us today, 
Do we see God as, as just as sovereign and just as control now as he was then? Do we see God just as, as, as reigning and exercising the same dominion? Because that same scepter is in his hands. When he ruled over Edom and said, that's their land, you don't, get, you don't get to set your foot on it. But God, my life would be so much easier if we could just walk through. I mean, to walk around them, that puts us out in the desert. And you're going to make us buy food from them? Yeah. Because I've given that for this time. And then with, with Moab, God, it, they're, they're after cursing us. God said, yeah, but I'm turning their curse to blessing. Rest in that. And Sion and on. I, I'm giving you their land. 40, uh, 60 wild cities are yours. I'm giving them all to you. And you know, that, I mean, these for the giants, the same giants they were afraid of before. God has given them to them. To see God's dominion over all things and all decisions takes faith. It takes faith. We look back and we can see it. But when we think, okay, I've seen the past, and so now I can go forward, and it's all going to be great, and I'm going to see it. But the reality is we can't. We, we so desperately need him to remind us, to show us, to lead, work in our hearts so we see him, so we can rest in this. How do we acknowledge God and God tomorrow morning when things don't work out? How does that, what's that going to look like tomorrow when you get to work and everything you thought you had fixed was suddenly unfixed? What does that look like tomorrow? Or on the way to work and somebody pulls out in front of you? How do you see God's dominion in that? How do you acknowledge God in your actions and your attitudes? That's when we need God. That's when we need to call upon Him to do this work. And we need to see his hand on this as we look forward to this.